0: You've tried the lime LaCroix, (laughs) LaCroix.
1: You mean, you mean the key lime, right? The key lime. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, this, I, I need to say a mea culpa here. Like I was totally wrong. It, it blows the lime flavor out of the water.
0: The word word I was looking for was homeopathic, (laughs) right? Like the, the lime is a homeopathic version of the key lime. Mm -hmm. Um, so yes. Uh, right. Well, uh, it's good to see you, Ian. Um, we have some, we have some feedback from, it was actually a couple of episodes ago when we were talking about open source software and why like it's, I mean, open source is just never going to have like an easy and clear path in the world. And it's always going to be one of those things where you're going to, your brows slightly furrowed. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah. At, at least from a, uh, from like a direct monetization perspective.
0: Yes. So our friend George wrote in with quite a quite a detailed um, piece of feedback, he Supreme Court citations and, and everything.
1: <laughs> well, well, he was he was he was correcting me uh, on one point uh, and also complimenting us uh, because so for 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 those of you who who don't know, there is a. A uh, fairly significant lawsuit that apparently is still being litigated. Uh, I thought it it had come to completion. It it, it has not yet gone to the Supreme Court, um, but that is uh, still being litigated uh, between Google and uh, Oracle about the uh, Java API, where where Oracle technically owns the rights to Java, uh, but Java is also an open source language. And Google basically replicated the uh, Java API for 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 some of its uh, developer products, uh, which allowed Java developers to like easily move over to their platform. Uh, and Oracle is claiming that the API uh, uh, represents IP, and therefore it should be covered by copyright law. And this this lawsuit obviously has major implications because. If Oracle wins, then you would be able to copyright a software uh, a software specification and not just the software implementation itself, which right now is the only thing that you could patent. Um, and that's a big deal because then essentially everything that we had that like we had talked about where where like uh, where like. The you could think of as the API uh, of the API as as the value layer itself, uh, you'd be able to protect that where like right now you can't. Um, But you know George George pointed out that this has not been fully litigated yet, Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, uh, and and also uh, what. Uh, was 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 kind enough to let us know that uh, that that helped him sort of like shift his thinking and and why Oracle was fighting this so hard and and taking a point of view that like at, at the outset like didn't seem like it made a lot of sense but like when you think about about the API as the only thing that that the developer actually interacts with like then potentially it does make sense that there's IP there.
0: Um and then he he also writes in to correct that you know, we we didn't cover a lot of the reasons why a company would contribute to an open source project or view that positively. Um there are a lot of like I think it needs both a blog post where we actually lay out what the what the implicit model is in, in our heads.
1: Yeah. And
0: also like uh, another podcast, possibly with another a guest on where
1: you might use that open source software to basically try to set a standard. And because if you can shift a whole bunch of people over to that standard, it then also like makes it cheaper for them to, to go use your, your software. Uh, to a certain extent, like, like that sort of thing is probably something that would make the most sense if, uh, if you were in the, the like, bottom layer of the stack where the like, infrastructure sits. So if you're making chipsets, uh, or building compute boxes uh, uh, or those sorts of things
0: it can be a way to outsource some of your development for free yeah um, like yeah. you can like stuff that you probably wouldn't consider doing yourself if it's an open source project somebody might develop the library for you or make tests and advances or take risks that you wouldn't otherwise do part of that would also be there's a like if you open source something that was developed internally and then people start contributing to it, I think that's also free recruiting. Yeah. But I definitely think Airflow has had some benefits for Airbnb. Yeah, that that to me was probably one of the more
1: interesting sort of reasons that, that, that we missed or glossed over mm-hmm. um, that, you know, basically, so, you know, as a... a as a startup, for instance, you're probably not doing infrastructure-related things, so you're not going to be setting standards. But there, like once you hit a certain scale, there's still probably a fairly good reason for you to be doing open source implementations, um, and and that's essentially so that uh, so that uh, it, if your implementation is the one that kind of takes over then you get a bunch of people contributing to your needs for free.
0: Right. And then you also don't have to train them on, like, Air, Airbnb yeah, doesn't have you to go, go looking for a whole bunch yeah, of people. Yeah. You don't have to, like, go looking for people that know Airflow if you developed Airflow. Yeah, yeah. And, it,
1: and, like, it was sort of interesting because at, at the time that Airflow showed up, there were actually, like, at least four or five roughly equivalent packages trying to do the same thing. So you know, Spotify had published one called uh, Luigi. Uh, mm-hmm. Pinterest had published one called Pinball, and there were a few companies here and there that like used those other ones, but but Airflow just like took off in a way that that it didn't like the others didn't really seem to. It's
0: not exactly clear why. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I. Mean, <laughs> I, 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 I I looked at them at that time and like, they all pretty much look the same to me, but I'm not an engineer. So like, it's, it was hard for me to tell the difference between them. Mm -hmm. Um, But at the same time, like, because, you know, for whatever reason, airflow takes off and, uh, and Airbnb gets a ton of value out of that. Because now like their exact needs are being worked on by a whole bunch of other people and then when they go to hire data engineers, like chances are pretty good they already use the software that Airbnb is using internally to run their pipelines.
0: I think I think that probably covers the the biggest ones. Ian, are you in the mood for a, a bit of pedantry? <laughs> uh,
1: I suppose we can we can go deep into the ontologies if you want to today.
0: I want uh, to I, I want to start out by saying like I there's like a a, a language change that we should make. Um, and I also, at the same time, put a low probability of language changes being like effective and affecting things. Mm-hmm. There was like a, a thread uh, started by a Wall Street Journal article that was behind a paywall that I did not read because I did not pay for the Wall Street Journal. But there was a lot of people like arguing about whether or not a algorithm could be biased or not. Mm-hmm. When you push on it, they're arguing about Whether I'll just call it a machine that has data inputs, um, something like a something that categorizes or projects Mm -hmm. could be biased. There's people get hung up on the phrase like an algorithm, like on the specific word algorithm when you have these discussions. Ian, what do you like? What
1: do you think of as an algorithm? I want to take one step back before we hop into that because, like, I. I think that there there is there is a deeper problem as well, uh, which is that people use they are using the term bias when they actually mean discriminatory (laughs) And, and like. Colloquially, they mean the same thing. There's
0: there's two math terms that are conflatable with two yeah. legal terms with two everyday language terms here, and they're both doing damage in some way. Yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. Especially because like you can make a mathematical thing that is unbiased, but is but still but still discriminates in ways that you don't want to. Right.
0: There's the there's the statistic- I, I yeah. think that that one tends to be easier to clear up here. Though, at least in my mind, it's it's most people don't know about the like the the technical definition of bias, and it's often pretty close to the <laughs> it's it, it's it's semantically closer yeah. to the to the thing to the non technical definition.
1: So, so I'm I'm I mean, to me, they're they're kind of related, like these these the these two issues. So, when I think of uh, an algorithm, like. I, I'm literally just thinking of of like a specified set of steps to mm-hmm. get to a result.
0: Right. So I think and I actually think that is that is the way most people think of it yeah but I like when I hear the word algorithm, I actually think that it's not just a result, but it kind in some sense has to be the right result. So like long division is an algorithm. Because you do the the like the steps of long division, yeah. and at the end you have solved the problem. Yeah, um, and use it in math to to specify like steps that will guarantee you the right result. If you can follow a recipe, and each time you get the recipe, like you actually follow the recipe, each time you do that, you get a cake. That's an algorithm. Yeah. If you follow it, and most of the time you get a cake, that is a heuristic for getting cakes, not an algorithm. So so I mean ha-
1: how how would you feel about that if 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 you followed it uh, if you followed it a hundred times uh, and then followed it a subsequent hundred times, you had a guarantee that those two populations were going to f- that the distribution of outcome in those two populations were going to be the same?
0: Um, then, i mean exactly the same then that's like an algorithm like if your goal i do think that algorithms do specify a goal if your goal is to get that proportion of cakes then that is that is actually an algorithm in that in that case okay so to me when someone says like when someone calls the netflix recommender an algorithm i'm a little dubious about calling that an because there is definitely like a define like a component of it that has a very well specified goal and a very specific set of steps mm-hmm. that is equivalent to long division or least squares or something where you get the right answer and there is a right answer mm-hmm. every single time when you tell me that Netflix recommender is an algorithm i am a little dubious because i don't think that there is a right answer mm-hmm. It, to me, like a, a good analogy would be insurance, right? Like insurance uses um, they use algorithmic algorithms inside uh, underwriting a policy to determine how much to pay for the like how much they are willing to pay for a policy. Or in fact, if
1: they are willing,
0: yeah, if they're willing to pay for a policy, that's yeah. literally what underwriting is. Mm-hmm. I do not think of insurance policy underwriting as an algorithm even though like is a set of steps to an outcome because I don't think of the outcome of policy underwriting as a fixed definite goal where there is a right answer. Yeah. There's a, there's an answer that keeps the company (laughs) (laughs) solvent. So if you're willing to stretch algorithm to that definition, then I'm like, I'm with you, but like it feels it's like technically meets the definition to me, but it doesn't feel Right.
1: Yes. So so that's actually the reason why I was asking about, like, if I had a recipe that was designed to generate a population with some set of characteristics Mm -hmm. for me and those characteristics were were deterministic, assuming that I ran the thing enough times. Yeah. Right. Is that an algorithm?
0: I I think again, like I think it's. it is fine to call that an algorithm
1: mm-hmm.
0: but now I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to be super like social sciencey on us mm-hmm. and be like what do we gain by calling that an algorithm as opposed to like a policy it's an acceptable use of the term algorithm mm-hmm. I will grant um, it fits my definition of, like, it's not just a set of procedures, but it actually, like, meets a specified goal yeah. that is that can be well-defined. Unfortunately, like, when we want to call something an algorithm, we're trying to tell someone this is depersonalized. There is no human's decision-making involved yeah. in it. It's the exact opposite of the truth, right? Like, it is, to me, like, obscuring, okay, okay. obscuring I the see, truth rather than, I see, than highlighting it. I I.
1: I see I see what you're getting at here so so I mean if I if I could spit that back Neat. like the the issue that you have with calling the whole process uh, an algorithm is basically because you uh, you have conflated two pieces of it
0: mm-hmm.
1: one is the crank that you are turning you and the cranks man and and the other, is 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 the human design decisions that went into how you built and configured that crank.
0: Yes. Yes. That is like on one level I feel like if you want to be strict about the language, yeah. It's like calling the recommender system an algorithm is sort of like calling a car transmission system or a steering wheel. On another level, you you could make the case – like I feel like you could stretch the language to make that case. On another level, it's serving the wrong purpose. It's seeking to tell people – that there's no agency in the design here yeah. when there's really only one part of the system that has no agency in the design, and that's the, the fact that, like, you don't really know what in, yeah. when you feed data into it, like, yeah. what outputs are going to come out. Okay,
1: so, 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 so going back to our long division example then,
0: mm-hmm.
1: let's imagine a scenario where, uh, where basically the rule set was long division – but if the answer comes out to greater than a hundred, just write down a hundred. So, in your parlance, that would not be an algorithm. The algorithm inside there is the is the doing of the long division, and then there's a policy or something else that sits on top of that. In my parlance, that would still be an algorithm. We wouldn't call it long division anymore because it's not giving you the answer. Yeah, <laughs> uh, but. But that would but that would be an algorithm. The advantage we get out of your definition is that is basically that we have now laid bare the nonsensical capping of like what the thing is actually of, of like what the crank is actually producing.
0: Yes. And, and I think that's impo- whereas,
1: important. Whereas in my parlance, we've hidden
0: that. Yeah. I, th- I think that that's an important when you talk about algorithms, because yeah. again, like I can make a rule. Yeah. That I can make a rule that says I'll take halfway between the, the topmost data point and the bottommost data point. And that is the average. Yeah, that is a heuristic, and it'll even be right most of the time, mm-hmm. and it meets all of the specifications that people informally apply to algorithms. Uh-huh. Is not a fucking algorithm, <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> um, if you, for whatever reason, that is the thing that yeah. solves the problem.
1: As in, as in, saying I use this to calculate averages. Yes. Like I can certainly run that rule set, but I it will not calculate the average. It is not an
0: yet. algorithm for finding the average. Yeah. It is yeah. an algorithm for doing the literal thing that it does. Yeah. But to me, that is an like it is a an acceptable yeah. definition meets an acceptable definition of an algorithm, but kind of a pointless. Point. Uh, yeah. Um, like in words should have a reason. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And I feel like if we like if we're using the word algorithm on the the Netflix projector and even like, yeah, there, there's other like yeah. there's other systems where there's more algorithm, more algorithm and less policy involved. There, the words aren't serving the purpose.
1: Um. So, so, but, but the, the collaborative filtering methodology that underlies mm-hmm. the. That's an algorithm. So that, that is an algorithm. Yes. But the. The like it's, Netflix it's, it's actually, the steering wheel like, on just, the car of the recommender yeah, 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 but the recommender system itself that actually gives me the movies right. is not.
0: My point here is like I don't want people to say algorithms can be racist because it trips up people when they get like start thinking about it mm-hmm. because it's like it's hard to imagine a racist long division. Mm-hmm. But it's also a complete distraction from the point that, yeah. like, a piece of software obviously can be racist. Yeah, like it can be dis- like just the same way a yeah. flag can be. Yeah, and um, it's
1: and it's the human design element of how all those pieces get put together that make it so.
0: I really like to bring it back to larger podcast themes. I really hate it when people use analysis and data and algorithms and machine learning to say like this wasn't my choice, this wasn't my design, this wasn't, like, I have no agency here. Mm-hmm. The numbers are telling me what to do. Yeah, I hate it when executives do it to, like, absolve themselves of responsibility. Or, or of
1: making a hard decision. Or of
0: making a hard decision. I hate it when data scientists do it to, like, pretend that there's more authority behind their analysis than they, than they actually have. Mm-hmm. And I hate it when people are pretending they... Can't fix a system that people don't like. Instead of they don't want to, or they maybe they have a good other right, overriding reason. Yeah, like I think all of those things. Like I don't like it. Just makes me feel bad about humans <laughs> <laughs> and the humans doing that. <laughs>
1: Well, now you've made me feel bad about 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 humans
0: and the humans doing that. I guess that my objective has been completed yeah. and I did not use an algorithm to get here.
1: <laughs> when you first sent this over to me, I was basically like, I don't understand this. What, why are you like, bothering <laughs> me? Yeah, like, you know, the like, this is a word. Here's the Wikipedia article that, like, <laughs> says what the definition is. <laughs> like... And I've watched people have arguments about this, like ad nauseum, like none of them ever seem to go anywhere useful. But this actually like does seem like like something that's useful because like then it does allow you to say, OK, listen, like like math is math. The optimization procedure you've designed is whatever it is, but you do not get to extract yourself from the decision making around how you are going to use that thing no part of (laughs) that
0: right like the inputs and the outputs and the way you embed it in your decision like none of that is free from human design yeah you don't always anticipate the consequences we know like that's not how any engineering works yeah but uh, there's agency all around the construction of these machines you know i feel like people are starting to have good conversations about about bias in um in the like racism and sexism Sense And prediction machines, it's probably decades too late because banks and insurance companies have been doing this forever. Yes. Yeah. We shouldn't be calling them algorithms. Like when it's like it's obscuring the agency involved, yeah. and I feel like there's other mischief causes, including overemphasizing the math relative to, the, to yeah. the data, and overemphasizing the math relative to the policy. The Key thing is that like whenever whenever we're referring to objects of a complex data mining and transformation and and labeling system as an algorithm. Like, we're removing the agency and design from it that yeah. belongs there. Yeah.
1: It, it, and, like, this kind of goes back to, to the thing that I was saying at the beginning where, like, I, I feel like there's a lot of stuff packed in and conflated here. But, like, really the term bias... Right. Because it has a specific meaning with respect to the algorithm. Yeah. It's even worse. <laughs> right. And you are like able to say, look, I can show you from the data that this is unbiased. Like that still doesn't mean that it is doing the thing that you want it to do. Right. You know, essentially like every, every classifier discriminates like that is, it is there like in the technical sense, like it is there to separate Mm -hmm. between two classes, but like you as the designer of that, like do get to make a choice You know, even when you build it in the most unbiased way, like you get to make a choice for how you would like this thing
0: to discriminate. Mm -hmm. In my previous career, I got to experience lots of there's tests that people will do in order for you to get employment. And the rule is if you have a unbiased test in the sense of like measures and ability in a a way that is not subject to omitted variable bias or Mm -hmm. something like that if it is biased against, like, a protected group, your duty, and you know what it is biased against a protected group, your duty is to use something that is less biased than that. Mm-hmm. Like, that that's it. Like, it's not that complicated. <laughs> <laughs> like, it, I do feel like part of why I bring this up is I feel like we are making it more complicated than it necessarily needs to be. Like you can discover bias and then use something that is less biased. And if like there's something that blocks you from doing that, like you can write a paper that says why or something like that. Like it's not a complete solution to all of the problems, but like it doesn't need to be that complicated a discussion and people seem to just get stopped on the like – math can be <laughs> part of it. Is, yeah like it's just unnecessary if you think about the way that the language is interfering at the argument. I've spent a fair
1: amount of time thinking about this like from 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 some of the contexts in which I work as well uh, because like there there's basically lots of reasons why uh, why even uh, if your procedure, is, is totally unbiased relative to like what it is predicting with respect to the data that you have. There are still like a lot of reasons why like in the real world, it still might not be working. <laughs> um, you know, as in like there will be subpopulations where you don't have enough data. There will be subpopulations where where the way that the that the data was collected on them, like differs fundamentally from, you know, from, from like everyone else, they might have access issues, uh, they, they might, uh, you know, they, they might have like, you know, v- lots of variables can like kind of come in to like, it's like cause problems around, around like how good your prediction is going to do against like certain subpopulations of, of people um, and you can build your algorithm perfectly and it is still reasonable to say like there are these groups of people for whom a model is inappropriate to use, period, the end. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and like go find a different way because, because you essentially know that, that, that all of the inputs that went into that are going to be totally skewed.
0: Yeah. And to use like a non-controversial ver- re- version of that, like every fraud model in the world – has had um, an instance where, like, what country someone is from yeah. is a huge predictor of, uh, of whether or not someone is likely to commit fraud. It has nothing to do with the people that live in that country. It has to do with, like, the fr- the group of fr- people who happen to commit fraud happen to live in that, that country. Yeah. And there's a million ways that that pops up in, like, similar contexts, but for people who are of a nationality or a gender or anything. Like that, so um, and that's just one example. Yeah, (laughs) like there's a million ways that uh, that 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 type of bias can uh, happen without a actual type of bias. Yeah,
1: so you know the way that I sort of think about this is basically like you as you as as the data product designer get to make a number of choices, and and even if you believe that your math is pristine, you still make a lot of design choices around. How that's used, and what inputs you're going to to take advantage of uh and then how 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 the output should be used and 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 how you're going to check mm-hmm. to make sure that it's doing the things you actually want it to do
0: okay, we've covered this pretty well let's talk about team size. Ian, I know you love bureaucracy. So like- <laughs> The more you can get process and people telling you what to do and telling you can't do stuff, that's like the happier you are, right? I I,
1: I mean, there is like nothing I love more than like getting Uh, a piece of paper with just I's and T's on it and dotting those I's and crossing those T's and stamping that paper at the end.
0: (laughs) You prefer for your work enjoyment that you'd rather work on small teams.
1: Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm an early stage startup person. Like I always have been. Um, And so like, I, I don't think it would be a huge surprise then for you know, for me to have the kind of personality where I I would prefer my teams my team sizes to be, uh, you know, to be small and tight, and essentially like as few layers of communication as possible to like get something done.
0: I think that that means that you are a fan of this Stitch Fix model, right?
1: The basically data scientists go out and do something useful for the business. Yeah.
0: Can can you kind of like, can you give a a quick summary of what, like, so I'll I'll say one thing, which is that um, Stitch Fix advocates for a hiring and deploying data scientists as though they were a full stack, which is a little hard to get around for me. But um, what it means is like you're Assigned to a business problem, and then you are supposed to employ and learn uh, like whatever uh, amount of detail from the data science stack that you can apply to this business problem. So this is a
1: thing that I've that I've spent a fair amount of time thinking about, actually, in, in like in like a couple of different contexts, and and it's sort of popped up. In my viewport and like in like a couple different ways, uh, the most recent one being this article that Eric Colson wrote about data science not being a pin factory, uh, yes. which I, I think kind of encompasses a lot of the things that uh, that I've been thinking about. The two things that sort of showed up prior to this were one. Uh, A set of articles kind of circulating around the Twitter sphere uh, maybe a month or two ago talking about how uh, the standard engineering or like software development process like doesn't really work for data science, uh, for like data science and uh, machine learning based products, essentially because those things tend to look a lot more like like a research and development kind of uh, kind of activity where you're tweaking things and tuning things and trying things. And essentially it's weeks and weeks and weeks of nothing working until something works. Uh, and you can't really plan a sprint around that. And like, you can't like set a product roadmap around that. Cause you don't really know like what's going to work at, at like what period of time. And you have, and and like when you start the process, oftentimes you don't even know like what is inside the realm of poss- of of like possibility. So that was thing 1. Uh, thing 2 was I I can't remember if this was published in or which which journal this this was published in, but 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 there was a a piece of like academic research that was making the rounds and 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 got some coverage in the New York Times about how like they did some research and lo and behold found that small teams were more productive than large teams in terms of like actually generating outsized or like unexpected results or, or like new, like new creative results in, right. in a the sci- parlance of science. Yeah. It was
0: like scientific, uh, it was within the scientific sphere, right?
1: Yeah. Like the, you know, if you look at physics, uh, as an example, like the really, the, the cutting edge research tends to come out of smaller teams, uh, the larger collaborations, so like the giant particle accelerators, like produce a lot of papers, but not really anything cutting edge.
0: Yeah, I wonder if the, some of that would be just through groupthink. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, that's so like
1: that, that to me is actually like where a lot of this comes from that basically, like, groups regress to the mean. Like, so, so you love that in terms of like the wisdom of the crowds, like, like they can keep you away from. They,
0: it reduces risk, but uh, it also reduces upside. What yeah, you're
1: saying. yeah. So, so you're hammering the variance down, like you know exactly what you're going to get when you stick a large group of people to go do something. You'll basically get whatever on average those lar- that large group of people is capable of. Uh, but by reducing that variance, you've lost a lot of the downside, but you've lost all of the upside too. Um, And so like when a person has a really crazy idea, which like tends to be the most valuable, tends to be like either the most valuable or the most useless idea (laughs) that has ever existed in the history of the world, um, if they have to run around and get you know, and get hundreds of people to like agree with them before they can work out the implications and launch it. Like it, it will just never get out there mm-hmm. versus like, like if that person is working with a very small group of people, uh, it's way fewer people to like try to convince. And so you get more volatility. Uh, and then the interesting thing is so, so then Eric Colson published the stitch fix article where, where he was essentially like talking about running, running data science, As as an R&D kind of organization and this full stack idea of like, well, you know, the thing you need your data scientists to do is go and find places within the organization where like they can do valuable things. Um, To me, like that kind of tied together the whole thread for me because uh, because essentially uh, a full stack generalist who who can solve an entire scope of problem by themselves is essentially like the ultimate small team. They don't need, like no one needs to agree with them but themselves for them to actually activate and go do something, uh, which also means that uh, that, you know, let's say you have 50, 70, you know, 150 people doing that who can just run their own experiments and do a whole bunch of stuff, you, you've you now maximized the variance in your
0: system. Can we talk about pin factories a little bit? Yeah. People may be wondering what the connection is between team size. Can't you just have a team full of generalists? Colson doesn't do a great job of explaining yeah. that, and I think we we have an opportunity to to talk through it with people a little bit. mm mm-hmm. Um, so the pin factory is from Adam Smith's wealth of the nations and it's like a reference to the division of labor mm-hmm. and the division of labor, I think is one of those things that is like amazing if you think about it for a little bit, but most people don't. So they just like completely taken for granted. Yeah. So like it is basically the idea that you don't like, and not anyone on your team needs to know anything about making a pin in order for the, the pin factory to work. Right, like there's one person that has one job, and then there's another person that does another job, and another person that has another job, and actually nobody in the whole pin factory knows how to make a goddamn pin. (laughs) (laughs) But that's the division of labor. It's like divided up into small tasks, and then the the insight is that like you get better at your task, which is highly specific, and that makes you more that makes the whole system more productive. Yeah, Um, I think I think that's interesting because. It really does hinge on it being specific human capital, yeah. right? It is like Smith says something like, "Here, I'm going to like actually look it up. The specialized knowledge of a particular trade or task um, saves the laborer time by not being interrupted." Yeah. The more they focus on that task, the more likely they are to innovate in that particular thing, like yeah. the way they get that thing done. Yeah, faster. which
1: which basically means they will get more throughput in their area. Yeah,
0: and, and that's the way humans get better at things, right? Is they have they spend time thinking about how to do the thing, and then they get feedback on the task yeah. that they're, well, they're it, doing, and like that's if you want to get better at a task, yeah. that's the way to do it. Well,
1: and and, and all of modern society is. is- Structured based off of this idea right like that's the reason why i don't have to farm tomatoes in my backyard to live it's
0: it's true yeah no like despite like henry david thoreau's like best efforts Uh like nobody is actually self-sufficient and like there's no like you can i mean
1: i mean i can farm tomatoes in my backyard if that is an activity that I enjoy doing.
0: Even that though like
1: you're <laughs> going to buy for Yeah, of course. You
0: didn't install your own plumbing, right? Like Yeah, so I didn't install yeah. my own plumbing. Colson is like saying, "Okay, that's that's actually the way to do it when you're running a factory because it's specific tasks."
1: Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and and most importantly, like you know what the output is supposed to be.
0: Yes, right? right
1: the output right. is supposed to be pins.
0: Right. So the, all of the, like, there's two kinds of efficiency in the world. There's like, how, how efficient am I, am I at making a particular thing? Mm-hmm. And then there's like, do people actually want that particular thing? Yeah. Right. So there's no, there's no answer to how do people actually want what you're making in a division of labor or question. And a startup is definitely built to find out whether people want something. Yeah. And most of the time when you're really concentrating on how you make it the best thing that you can or do it in the best way possible, that is a waste of time. I think that's, even the you know, and it, it's particularly it's a waste of time that in companies that hire a lot of engineers are apt to make because you're like half
1: engineers, like yeah, build by process yeah. now. Okay, what does want anybody to, want your product?
0: Yeah. What <laughs> I want you to do is learn how to make things, and then you're going to come work for a company where we don't want to spend a lot of time on how to make it. <laughs> um, it's it's really I, I feel for people who are in that situation. Yeah,
1: I mean, I I. I I, this is one of the reasons why, like, I, I, I feel like startups are probably harder on software engineers than most people realize, mm-hmm. uh, basically, because, like, if you went into engineering, like, you are specifically looking to make things and, like, mm-hmm. make things at scale. No early stage startups make things at scale. They don't even really make things. They're just like giant... They're funded experiment machines. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So they're trying to figure out if they should be making something, not actually making anything.
0: Right. There's an underlying thing, which is like the larger your team is, the more likely it is to end up with specialized role, whether you want it or not.
1: Yeah, I mean, eventually you do kind of need it. Right.
0: There's an underlying economic theory that says that like if you... The more people involved, the more likely they're going to like concentrate on this task and then get better at that task and get rewarded. Stitch Fix is saying here, we're kind of artificially limiting our productive efficiency because we think it leads people to spend their time on things that like one, it leads them to concentrate like their cap, their knowledge of whether or not the the thing is working and whether people want it into Mm -hmm. a smaller group of people that's more able to able to make more quick decisions. And they don't have to coordinate as much. But it also is, like, forbidding them for spending too much time on how to make yeah. it. I think it's, the, like, the underlying. Yeah, uh, and, and, and,
1: like, to be clear, like, this is not the entire company that they're talking about. It's just this group of people that does the data things right? Like they have software engineers, they have operations, like, like those folks definitely are executing on process. It's just this group of people, they, they, they are essentially saying for this set of tasks, we do not believe that or, or, or to get value out of like this area, like we do not believe that to be
0: appropriate. Yeah. And, and I think that that's, I mean, like it shouldn't be that controversial in a sense, right? Like if you think creativity is involved, then, then you like running an
1: agile process is not going to give that to you. (laughs)
0: Like anything, like the whole division of labor idea of you spend time honing a specific task is not going to give you any advantages on creativity. And in fact, a lot of like the whole point of the book drive is very popular. And also to my eyes looks pretty, plausible um, is that that will likely drive down people's urge to create on the job mm-hmm. right it'll take away from that so that all makes sense to me that like the data science is not a pin factory job it's mm-hmm. not like a do a bunch of stuff in fact like Reading reading The Pin Factory and then – like I, like this article made me go back and read some of the Adam Smith chapter that has The Pin Factory in it. Smith is not the ideological doctrinaire capitalist that you would probably imagine him from reading Libertarians <laughs> uh, like summoning of him, but – he will, lays out, like, this is what the pin factory does. This is what division of labor does. Here's some aspects where the division of labor sucks. Like, <laughs> it makes the jobs uncreative. Like, it makes people focus on bullshit. Like, <laughs> is what the, the idea you get from him. And he he also doesn't think that it's, like, a good thing for a creative class to do. Like, you would not expect a lot of specialization in data science, right? Like, because it's it's probably a more creative job. It also is not likely, you're not likely to have a large market. Yeah. Like, when you're doing data science discovery type work, like Stitch Fix is doing, like, you need a large market in order to, like, drive specialization. Like, you need a huge number of customers in order to have enough people, and then, like, the specialization starts to make sense, whereas you can divide up the tasks into different, like, things that people are doing. Yeah,
1: I mean, I mean, the interesting thing about them is basically that, like, they probably do have a large enough market to push for specialization well, probably, if they
0: wanted Well probably not each one of these divisions that he has. Well, yeah, I, have I have mean a large enough market. Yeah, like, like not maybe one we're of not them the way get to, so big. Yeah.
1: Yeah, but Yeah, um, yeah, I mean like you know so so when you say large enough market you mean something like the Facebook news feed is consumed I'm, by so many people I, that you could justify
0: I literally only mean the the market for the data science work. So, yeah. like the Facebook newsfeed is huge and has thousands of people that work on it, probably yeah. in some sense. But mm-hmm. the data science teams their their market is probably the product team that works on the newsfeed, and the the because of the way Facebook is structured, the machine learning engineers. There's probably more of those mm-hmm. than the data science yeah, yeah. team. That's like a yeah. different different structure. Yeah. That's probably a larger and more specialized group yeah. than well, the data it, science
1: team. And and that's because like that those machine learning engineers, their market is very large. Right. Right. they their their market is the billion people who use Facebook every day.
0: I do feel like hiring a group of generalists is gonna lead to like like one of the advantages of treating code like it's a pin factory is you do get standardization out of it and conformity. Yeah. Well, he, what, he,
1: like he hasn't said anything about the production systems here.
0: It's true, right? and it kind of bothers me a little bit because it, like, I can see some engineer in the background going, "Like, I feel pretty uh-huh. specialized."
1: <laughs> like, yeah. Well, and and, and like uh, basically, this is this is this is. One of those areas, you know, again, like, uh, there's a bunch underneath Mm -hmm. this article that it's like, you know, so one of the things that's pretty clear is, well, if you want to run experiments, you need to be able to be shipping to production, Mm -hmm. right? Otherwise, you you can't, which means that there actually, there is certainly a set of standards in there that would allow someone to do that. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. then you can ask the question of, well, how are those generated, like... Uh, they probably like most certainly they have a very mature tooling system.
0: Right. So, I mean, that's the thing that I I think you can kind of sense underneath the article is that there is no specialization in data science because there is a highly evolved and well-executed data platform layer is what he calls it. Yeah, But like that, that means that there are, the, their engineers have built frameworks with which the data scientists can safely like everything that is a cry to move to more generalist model it's like highly specific and within a context of greater specialization yeah
1: well and and like all you really have needed to have done was made this this 5 plus year investment mm-hmm. in data platform which would have required you to hire a set of, you know, 15 to 20 highly specialized engineers right. to help you build it. I,
0: lo- I love blog posts that are like, they lay out a nice principle of what worked at a company. And I love the ones where you can actually see underneath it, that there's like, uh, you probably shouldn't play, try this at home, kids. Well,
1: or unless, unless, I mean, I mean, you should, but here's all these other pieces to it. If yeah. you don't have this stuff, then it's don't not do gonna, it. It's not
0: going to transfer. Yeah. Like I imagined a startup that took this advice and it really made me think of that joke that people tell about like why why do engineers and data scientists love cooking it's cuz like you get a carrot out like you go go get a carrot out and you you cook the carrot and it's uh it doesn't tell you that like you don't have the right rails package installed you know you know to cook the yeah. carrot
1: like that at like least like, your versions off <laughs> right
0: if you're trying to build a generalist data science project that ships code and you yeah. haven't installed this data platform layer you're going to be just fighting over which version of python to use forever <laughs> <laughs> yeah. so 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 i mean i
1: i i do think that that like To me, the the takeaway that I kind of had from the way that he put all this together was was number one, like ignore all of the stuff around full stack, because like it's completely unclear what that means. And I would be willing to bet you that there are lots of people working at Stitch Fix who work in a full stack way, but who would not be full stack at a different company that had no tools. Yes, uh, the
0: full the full stack is is a fun way of not specifying what what skills you. Need to yeah, do.
1: but you know, but like full, but the idea of full stack as a as as a mentality, like that part, I really like. Yes. Of like, me too. Of like, own the end to end of your work. Yes. Right,
0: and, and there's no doubt that, like, again, this is one of those things that Smith. Many people mm-hmm. criticize the division of labor. For like creating, like removing the sense of ownership Mm -hmm. from a, a product and from a workplace. And, like, literally it's in Adam Smith, guys. Like, <laughs> the first person who really articulated the division of labor also said, like, yeah, this seems like it alienates yeah. people from their work product.
1: Yeah, no, it, 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 and I mean, I, I have also, like, I know of companies that, that like, do the handoff, right, where, like, data scientist does some work, figures out a thing, passes it off to engineer, engineer actually implements it into, into, into the production system, everyone hopes everything goes Well, when it breaks, who the fuck knows. (laughs) Right. And, and so, you know, and I've personally been involved in, in, in situations where like that interface has like caused, like, like caused significant issues, right. Where one side couldn't interact with the other side's system. And, and all of it goes away. If, if everyone can interact cleanly with the production system. And to me, like, there's something that you lose in the – or you can lose something in the efficiency because it, it, even even if your tooling is great, the, the code that most data scientists will write is still not going to be as
0: good yeah, as, there, there, as, like, what an engineer will write. There is an actual gain to focusing on – the task-related yeah. stuff, yeah, but you're not going to get it out of this yeah, system.
1: but what you lose on the efficiency on the efficiency side, you gain on the effectiveness side. Productive efficiency, yes, yeah,
0: <laughs> yes, uh,
1: and 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 the econ speak.
0: Well, I mean, it, it's it's an important distinction yeah. because productive efficiency is getting better at doing a thing. Yeah, but it may not be a thing worth doing. Yeah.
1: yeah yeah so uh, there's another interesting thing I thought that was kind of like packed deep inside this article as well uh, that that he didn't really get to mm-hmm. uh, or like really uh, or, or like really address um, which is how do you like assuming the thing is not a pin factory, how do you assess? the productivity or value add of the team.
0: Mm, yeah. Right? And, 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 beneath that, like, it's clear that this is not, um, you know, they, with this generalist push, like the, this idea that you should be a generalist and have a generalist mentality, you're not, you don't have a predefined role yeah. as much. Yeah. Right? Therefore, so then like, how do your you leveling guides? Yeah. Gonna suck.
1: Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so like, also like, how do you, as an individual like show that you are skilled and, and are adding value? Like how do you as a manager, like figure out who on your team is skilled and is, uh, uh, and is adding value. Like those are, those turn out to be like the unbelievably complicated questions.
0: Yeah. I think it makes it harder. Like, yeah. you no, know like it, it makes it, well. I mean,
1: it's it certainly makes it hard. like a pin factory. You're just looking at well, yeah. how many pins did we make? Right. And were there more this this week than last week? Right,
0: and it's, and it's asking people to accept ambiguity in their careers and to trust you to evaluate them, like to trust the management layer to evaluate them fairly, well,
1: uh, like. Yeah. So I, I, my, my thoughts around this are, are, and like, and like this was actually the place that I gravitated to when I like read, read this article, Mm -hmm. you know, so R and D is long tail, right? Like there, there's going to be a few things that get done every year that are like insanely valuable. There's going to be a few things that are kind of valuable. And then there's going to be a whole bunch of stuff that gets done. That's just, turns out to not be useful at all. Um, and, and so, you know, basically, if, if, if that's the thing, so number one, like, if your company is capable of supporting that, that turns out to be a, 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 a huge strategic advantage, right? Because, because it basically means, like, you can handle the volatility, which means you get to harvest the upside. So you're, you're doing the thing that venture capitalists do. Which is like you're you're getting positive exposure to the long tail, and like just harvesting the gains uh, uh, from from that. Like that is hard for a company to 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 do because most executive teams are going to look at that and basically be like, "What are all these people doing? Like I don't see any productivity here. Where are my pins?"
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> um. And so you know that's kind of piece number one. And then piece number two is like. As, as an individual, like you kind of have to lean into that right because if if like this is the world that you're sitting in uh, y- you can trust that your managers are gonna do as good a job as they can to like try to you know assess your your leveling and your skill and whatnot. but at the end of the day there's just no substitute for like you delivering something in that long tail which means the person you really have to trust is yourself, <laughs> right? Of like, if I put enough into this, if I keep working, like my problem area, like not this, not whatever problem I'm working on, but the problem area that I've chosen, like I will eventually find something that will be, that like will be valuable and then I will get rewarded for that. Uh, and and that's a thing that I think can be tough for a lot of people to process because The rubric can't say just do something incredibly valuable and then we'll reward you.
0: I mean, it can, but But nobody would uh, like (laughs) like very,
1: very few people like everyone. It's not a rubric worth having. Yeah. I mean, I mean, everyone wants the rubric to be a recipe to basically be like, all right, I do this, I do this, I do this, I level up. And in organizations like this, like the rubric is actually going to be disconnected to, you know, to. Uh, to how well, to how well you're doing at the end of the day, like you are going to have to deliver something like that to get elevated within the organization. Mm -hmm. And there's going to be some people who are very comfortable in that world and like, and like others who are not, and you're going to have to figure out, you know, you as, you as an individual kind of have to figure out which, which of the two you are.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think you can still make a rubric that is like a how do you get better at your job yeah yeah yeah. i mean it's like a trust the process kind of rubric yeah i think that you you're right that you have to trust yourself you like you also have to trust you do have to trust that you are assigned to the right like division yeah because i i think it's pretty easy to see that this is not uh this is less an argument uh, about specialization and more an argument about specialization by uh, vertical as opposed to function. Yeah. Um, so, like, it's, they want you to specialize in, in this line of business that you're working on. Yeah. They do not want you to specialize in, like, deploying, like, the tuning of models as opposed to A-B testing or whatever. It is. Sure, that is, like, less of a pin factory, probably, to be in that, um, in a vertical as opposed to a function.
1: You hope in those scenarios that the leadership is really aggressive about, about doubling down on verticals that are working and killing off the ones that aren't.
0: Ooh, man, that does not run like that runs contrary to uh, most people's experience. Uh, yeah. Right? Yeah. So like you hope, <laughs> yeah, you hope. Yeah. Um, Cause, like, Cause verticals get their own constituency, yeah. right? Like yeah. they're like, it becomes painful to, yeah, to I, prioritize Divisions as opposed to projects. Yeah,
1: a, I know. I know a few folks that are like going through this this kind of transition now, where like companies like transitioning uh, and and like and like needs to rethink its prioritization, but hasn't like quite like done the whole thing yet. And but like there are entrenched verticals where it's like if you were looking at it from the outside you'd basically look at it and say okay well these two matter like this one maybe not but like that one is still like ex- trying to execute aggressively on their on their ro- like you know the the people inside it still want it to be there yeah um, everybody
0: wants their jobs. Going, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, well, it, it, and, and it doesn't necessarily mean like, Oh, if you disbanded the vertical, like you get rid of all those people, you would just reassign them probably yeah. to other things. But if you
0: disbanded the vertical, they would be less secure that they would find. Yeah. Well,
1: sure. and, and certainly like if you disbanded the vertical, the leadership layer within that vertical, like the, they'd have to figure something out. Cause they're, you're not going to drop them into one. Like they would just get dropped in to like a lower level level yeah. of the hierarchy
0: in one of the other verticals. So so yeah, so I think we both find the generalist model appealing. Yeah. I think it's worth our ta- like going back to a little bit on my like there's something uh, that makes me nervous about full full stack and that is like who's deciding what gets in the stack? Yeah. And, like there was this season of Top Chef, uh if people are going to follow me down this analogy or not but they do a thing called restaurant wars where like the chefs get together and they is, build a whole restaurant
1: isn't that every season of top chef
0: yeah like uh, but on this season someone got sent home because they were a bad hostess uh-huh. and this is like someone who won a bunch of challenges for being a really good chef <laughs> but she did a pretty crap job like training her wait staff yeah right um, that is a little bit like like you still have to design the stack so that the abilities correlate with each other some, mm-hmm. to some degree, and uh, you worry a little bit when like like when something is supposed to be full stack because it's a it's an excuse to not write the job description yeah. like terribly well yeah uh, and include uh, the hostessing duties along with the uh, like the chefing duties yeah
1: yeah I mean you know the way that I I sort of. Think about it as, is, is like, again, the, the, the specifics around it, like, are are just. But but they're so dependent on the on on like the company, yeah. Right. That that like full stack in one place means a very different thing than full stack in the other place. Mm -hmm. Like they're really like the they they are writing it to mean like you go get your own data and like own your outcomes in the production system and and, you
0: write into an ETL system and like do ETL into a system that has clear guardrails.
1: Yeah, it's like but. If there's a ton of tooling around that, like, the, that person being full stack, like, is not what you would call, you know, full stack somewhere else where there just isn't anything at all. Yeah. Uh, and, like, you have to, you are the person who has to stand up airflow. Like, if, you, if you've if you worked at a place that has really mature tools, like, the chances of you being able to do that, like, natively is, are quite low.
0: Yes. Okay, uh, we've we've covered this topic pretty well, I think. Yeah. Yes, yes. I, I enjoyed rereading some Adam Smith for this. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> you really, you should you should never apologize um, for that. <laughs> eh, I Should apologize <laughs> a little bit. Um, uh, all right. So uh, if you have any um, feedback, please uh, get us at feed at smalldiffcast I'm old jacket on twitter um, you can also reach out to us at um of differences
1: uh at ian blue one on twitter all
0: right all right this has been otis anderson the blumenfeld uh thanks for hanging out with us